My name is Erin Reddick, and I have been an elementary school counselor for 16 years. I am a counselor who cares about best practices in education. I care about my school community and my families. I care about the teachers and the staff at my school, but most importantly, I care about advocating for my students. Hi, Wendy. Thank you so much for being here today and taking out some time of your summer to talk about some really important uh, conversations that we're going to have. I'm going to turn it over to you to introduce yourself, um, give us some background info about yourself, a little bit about where you grew up, kind of where you are in your life, where you are in your journey, and just anything you want to share about us that tells us a little bit more about you and a little bit about your, uh, your, um, your education background and, you know, what you bridge. Okay. Hi, Erin. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Wendy, and I am a, an interventionist at Ridge Elementary. Um, I've been there for five years. Um, but my background, I grew up in Colonial Heights, Virginia, which is, I guess, about 30 miles south of Richmond. Um, I um, went to school, kindergarten through graduation from high school in Colonial Heights. Um, Colonial Heights has a nickname Colonial White, or at least it did in the 80s and 70s when I grew up there. Um, that's why I tell most people that ask where, when they say, where are you from? I'm embarrassed and shamed, ashamed that I grew up in Colonial Heights. Um, but anyhow, we'll get to that later. Um, so my parents had jobs there. My dad was the assistant principal at Colonial Heights High School. And my mom was a professor at a college close by. Um, after I graduated from high school, I got my teaching degree from William and Mary. Um, and after that, I got a job in Hanover County. So I moved to Richmond and taught in Hanover for nine years. And during that time, about my husband and we married and then when we started having children I stayed home with them and then as they got older I had part-time jobs here and there and then now I'm at Ridge Awesome. and my children are two are in college and one is in high school now Awesome. Okay, well, that gives us a little bit. It sounds like there's there's some more info to come and a little bit about the background of of Colonial Heights from there, uh, from some some stories that might be to come from that. So um, I want to hear kind of uh, some maybe a story that you have in your life that relates to race, a defining moment where you realized. Um, other people were different than you, um, and how that shaped. Tell us a story like that. Sure. Um, okay. So, like I said, um, Colonial Heights was nicknamed Colonial Whites. It wasn't until I was in eleventh grade. Actually, it wasn't until I was a senior that we had one black student at our high school. He was in eleventh grade and had just moved there. So I went from kindergarten to 11th grade with 0% black students. Um, the only black person in elementary school that I had contact with was our custodian. Um, we loved him. We just knew him um, by his first name. 
Um, and then in junior high, I had, I guess, my first black friend, and that was through a swim team. I swam, sorry, we have people working on our house, it's making noise. Um, in junior high, I met, I'll call him, um, let's see, Dave. Um, he was black and swam on the swim team, and we practiced at the YMCA and at Virginia State University during the winter, but in the summer, excuse me, when it was long course, we needed a 50 meter pool. So we practiced at a, the only place that had a 50 meter pool outside was a private club and that had no black members. Um, in order to be a member of the club, you had to be voted in by other members. Um, well, Dave was black and he still came to practice. It was before the pool opened each morning. Um, I think we had practiced like 7.30 to 9. Uh, Dave would show up to practice and he was the funniest guy, like very extroverted. People loved to hang out with him at swim meets or on the bus when we went to away swim meets. Um, but, you know, he was his regular self before practice. But then after practice, when the manager was there getting the pool ready, members were starting to show up. He was a different person. He would put on a sweatshirt, a hoodie, draw the drawstrings, wrap himself up in a towel so that nobody could see that he had swum in the pool. And he would joke about it, you know, and at the time, I think I was about 12, and I thought, well, gosh, he really, I guess the word now would be resilient. I didn't know what that word meant then, but I thought, he seems okay with this. He's laughing about it, but now as an adult, when I look back at that, I'm so ashamed that nobody said anything and tried to change anything with the membership deal. Um, and I just feel really sad for him, for Dave, that, I mean, that had to be so painful. And I think the whole humor thing was his defense mechanism. Um, and I do remember as a kid thinking, why can't a black person swim in the pool? Like, I, I didn't understand that. Um, but anyhow, that was my first experience of seeing someone being discriminated against and having to hide their skin color. Um, wow, that's, that's really powerful. And it sounds like that's a very vivid memory for you like, to this day, which it obviously was pretty um, long time ago since middle school was a long time for most of us. Right, definitely <laughs> so, for me. Um, so it sounds like this is, has stayed with you. Would you say this has shaped you in a negative or has this been a positive or negative lesson about race for you? Um, I mean, definitely when I think back to the memory, I think of it as negative that, and I feel, because I feel guilt mm -hmm. that, you know, that things were that way and that it was just the norm. It wasn't questioned. Um, I guess now as an adult, I mean, if I want to be, look on the bright side, I guess it's a blessing that it makes me angry now mm -hmm. because it was wrong. And I guess for too long, um, we've just accepted things the way they are. And I mean, I know now that, you know, there are black members at this club 
it's not like it used to be, but um, I know also that there is systemic racism and I think, you know, with this whole recent wave of, of Black Lives Matter movement, um, I just feel a little more aware um, and I feel like I've just been quiet for too long, just kind of just stuck in my own little world, my own little bubble. Mm -hmm. oh, thank you for sharing that. Um, so the last um, question before we move on to um, some in a different direction is, are you uncomfortable talking about race? Um, you can probably tell by my voice right now, <laughs> getting shaky, a little teary that I guess I am. Um, I'm not when I talk to my family and my children are good role models for that because it's something they talk about a lot. Um, I guess it also depends on the, the, the person I'm having the conversation with. Um, if they don't see things the way I see them um, and get defensive, I have a hard time like, I guess I have a hard time with confrontation and sometimes just walk away, but I'm hoping that I can change that. Um, yeah, and like I said earlier, definitely uncomfortable in the past about admitting where I grew up. You know, when I meet new people, especially if they're black and they ask where I grew up, I say Petersburg because I'm totally embarrassed of the colonial whites you know, thing, even though I was a kid and it's where my parents worked, I just still, I just feel guilty. Right. So even though you're uncomfortable talking about it, I want to thank you for coming to talk to me about it today. So thank you for doing that. Um, so I want to know, you, you've, you've kind of tap danced around it a little bit and you've been, you've very much been talking about this idea of white privilege, um, but let's just really put it out there and talk about it. What, when someone says white privilege to you, uh, what do you think of or what emotions do you feel? I feel a mix of emotions. Um, I definitely think it's a legit, uh, phenomenon. We are more privileged because of systematic racism um, and more, you know, in a lot of big ways and in a lot of little ways. Um, so I guess the emotions I feel are guilt. Um, I feel, I guess, um, sad at the unfairness of it. Um, and it really didn't, the white privilege idea did not hit home with me. I have another story to share, um, until last fall, um, I was, my daughter goes to UVA and so does her best friend from high school. Um, and her best friend, I'm not gonna use her name, but her name, let's just say was Ann or is Ann. Um, she is African-American and we went to family weekend and her family was there as well. And we went to the football game and after the football game, we had invited Anne's family back to the Airbnb of you rented for dinner and dessert to hang out, whatnot. And Anne's parents left first from the football game 
and Ann was with our family in another car and the girls had to go back to their dorms and we were running late. Then we got stuck in traffic. So we were probably 45 minutes. We probably arrived 45 minutes after Ann's parents did to the Airbnb. And it wasn't planned that way, but that's just what happened. So while we were on our way, Ann's mom called me and said, Wendy, how much longer do you think you're going to be? What's your ETA? And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I should have given you the key. This happened, blah, blah, blah. We'll be there as soon as we can. And so we finally arrived and Ann's mom and dad were sitting out front in their minivan with the lights on in the van and they got out and Ann's mom laughed and said, Wendy, I had to laugh when you said you would have given me the key because I would have never in a million years approached this house without you here. And I looked at her dumbfounded. I didn't know what she meant. And then it hit me that she meant because they're black. And I just, I can't describe, like my heart just hurts so bad that that would even be something she would have to think about. And that's just one incidence of where she has had to think about that. So I felt so sad for her mm-hmm. and all black people. And I felt kind of, I guess, I felt ignorant that it had never occurred to me. So it was very, that that would be a concern. And I mean, she went on to say they had gone to Starbucks to kill time. They called me, they came back, they decided to turn the lights on because, you know, people wouldn't think we look suspicious if we have the lights on. So anyway, that made white privilege really hit home in my heart. And um, again, I'm, you know, I'm really sad that that happened, but I feel like it was an awakening for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Anyhow, as you can tell, a mix of emotions. Yeah, wow. That, I think that's a really, I think that personal for um, people that might be listening to understand <clears throat> personal experiences with um, mm-hmm. specific topic like white privilege. Can you name an emotion you feel when you see the hashtag Black Lives Matter or you hear something about the movement Black Lives Matter? Sure. Um, Right now, when I see hashtag BLM, Black Lives Matter, I feel hopeful. Um, I feel like even though this movement has been around a little while, um, I feel like it's finally registering with people, um, including myself. I'll be the first to admit. Um, Right after the horrific death of George Floyd to police brutality. Um, One Sunday afternoon, my girls who are home because of COVID um, decided they were going to use chalk and they invited two other neighborhood girls to just do some hashtag BLM artwork around the neighborhood. So at the end of each street, they put BLM and then on the main parkway, they had more like kind of like public service announcements, you know, nothing offensive, just things like say their names and they listed people who had died to police brutality. Um, I think there was something about if you're silent, um, I don't know, like silence equals, um, what is the phrase I'm looking for? I can't think of it. Um, Something about not staying silent. 
Right. Um, I think that, you know, gotten to the point where we are, we realize that if we're silent, it, we support, you know, exactly. Like maybe like silence equals support. I don't know, something like that, but you know, and then they, you know, they drew pretty pictures and it was all positive. I didn't think it was anything sh that should offend anybody. Um, it really just gave you a lot to ponder and think about. And so many people are out walking because there's nothing else to do during this quarantine. Right. But anyhow, they got, they told me afterwards that, you know, people were honking their horns, giving them thumbs up, rolling down their windows and, you know, saying positive things with the exception of an older white woman had said all lives matter. But then when they tried to talk to her, she drove away. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that ends up having a, a happy ending to this story, I would say, um, there was a male that an older male that came out and was visibly angry and tried to like use his broom to wipe away BLM at the end of his street. Then he got the water hose. And so the girls approached him and just said, you know, please don't do that. You know, why are you doing that? And he started fussing angrily and said, you know, I have to live with this every day. I don't want it here. And my daughter, one of my daughters confronted him and said, no, you don't. You're a white male, mm -hmm. which only made him more angry. He put his ear pods in to try to ignore them. But anyway, the, where the story, I guess, goes to the positive is another neighbor saw my daughter and one of the other girls crying. So he stopped the car and asked them what just happened. And he put his car in reverse and went back to that neighbor and had a long discussion with him. And the man, the neighbor that had tried to erase it, ended up asking the girls to walk back over so he could apologize, told them they could put it back on the street or he, they could give him the chalk and he would put it. Um, in the end, they gave him the chalk. I don't think he wrote it, but um, when we talked about this afterwards, you know, we talked about the positive that at least a seed was planted in him that not everybody in our neighborhood feels like him. Um, and he can't, I don't know, just made, maybe he stopped, you know, maybe it made him think about what's going on and how it's not about him. Um, and also another positive is the neighbor that stopped to talk to him. Um, we've had our differences in the past, but I have a newfound respect for him. Um, and one of the, a person on the street of the man who had the, the water hose, uh, came out of her house, actually drove her car down where my girls were standing and she was crying and said, I want you to know, I live on this street. I just moved into this neighborhood and I stand with you, not him. Um, so there was a lot of positive that came out of that. Um, and I really think, you know, I wish he had left it there. I wish, you know, that he wasn't so upset, but maybe some seeds were planted for change. Yeah, I think that that's awesome. You're right. It's not, it was just the small little baby steps, hopefully. And um, the fact that conversations were had. Um, right. And he was willing to even have those conversations. I think that's a great point to be had at least um, 
the progress, maybe a little bit of progress was made. Yes, I hope so. And that your girls sound like they were out doing great work. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, do you, so do you think that talking about race maintains our divisions and prevents unity that I think we're all hoping for <laughs> in our schools and our communities and our neighborhoods and our country? Um, or do you think that talking about it helps us actually move toward healing? I definitely think talking about it helps move toward healing. I think that not talking about it is why we are here in the first place. Um, you know, and I'm guilty of that myself, just accepting the way things are. And that's easy for a white person because things are good for us as far as privileges. And it's just not fair. And I don't think it's fair to put it all on black people to make changes. Um, they've been oppressed. It's, it's just not going to happen. It has to be teamwork. People have to be educated. Um, and I don't mean like people have to go to college educated. I just mean people need to be aware and read books and watch the news and, you know, in order to understand. Um, but people do need to know the history too, um, of oppression, but yeah, if we're silent, nothing's going to change. Um, I'm just hopeful that people will, even though it's uncomfortable, that the more we talk about it, the more comfortable we'll get and it won't be an issue anymore. I, I think you're, I absolutely agree. We have to have these conversations and we've both kind of admitted that they are sometimes uncomfortable and the conversations between your neighbors were probably uncomfortable and the conversations that we sometimes have to have maybe between coworkers or friends and family um, are not always easy and not always comfortable, but I think they're conversations that are, are important, right? I agree. So I'm going to give you just a few more minutes. If there's anything else that you just had on your mind that you wanted to share with anyone that might be listening um, that you wanted to pass along. <laughs> um, well, I missed all my Ridge friends. Um, I thank you for putting this together. Um, I feel, I feel hopeful and I can't wait to listen to the other podcasts and, um, I can't wait till we're back in school and can be together and thank you. Awesome. And again, thank you, Wendy, for taking the time. You've shared a lot of personal stories, which I think help shape you as a person and as an educator, which help us understand a little bit more of your perspective. So that's took you being brave and awesome. <laughs> Matt, so it's not easy. Um, yes. and not always comfortable. And I really appreciate you doing that for all of those of us that will listen to this. So thank you so much. And we really appreciate it. Um, and thanks again. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us and stay tuned for my next episode.